0: Welcome to Season 3 of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Like intellectual bowerbirds, we aim to collect shiny little objects of knowledge that we think can help build better humans.
1: And welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Tim Curtis with my co-host, Ben Pronk. G'day, Ben. G'day, Tim. Uh, Nico Plowman is our guest today, Mm. all the way from Manly in Sydney, New South Wales. Nico had a first career in the corporate jungle, including living abroad. But 12 years ago, realised that corporate life is taking its toll. He describes his corporate lifestyle as burning the candle at both ends and was trying every coping mechanism just to get himself through a very busy professional career, and then decided there's got to be something more to this than self-medicating, and he experimented with some different forms of therapy, including mindfulness and some other meditations, uh, and then he discovered Vedic meditation.
2: Yeah, and we're going to talk with Nico about his journey, um, you know, his, uh, what, what got him into meditation in the first place, the different types, practices of meditation that he um, uh, sort of tried and, and went through and, in his own words, researched. And then his ultimate um, uh, decision to to focus on Vedic
1: meditation. Meditation. Uh, So what is it? How do you do it? How frequently? And what's the value? We're going to discover the answers to all of that in the show. Let's get on with the show. And welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Tim Curtis with my co-host Ben Pronk. G'day Tim. And joining us via Zoom today, Ben, Nico Plowman. Welcome Nico to the show.
3: Thank you Ben and Tim. It's very good to be here.
1: Uh, Second meditation teacher, we've had Gary Goro on the program before. Uh, Ben and I have waxed lyrical about the role of meditation in our lives, albeit we are complete novices and late to the party. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get to that in a little while. But Nico, perhaps could you give us a little bit of your background um, leading up to, you know, how you got into meditation?
3: Yeah, and I think that's interesting. I, I feel like I probably came a bit late to the party too um, <laughs> compared to some um, some people. But um, I have been teaching Vedic meditation now for eight years and I learned it um, ten years ago. Um, but the preceding decade before that I was always exploring different types of meditation, but not to, you know, I guess it's, you know, to some people it's interesting to know, you know, where we get to from here. Um, but I was born in Sydney, grew up in the Southern Highlands, um, you know, quasi country. I don't think it was kind of um, a few hundred acres or a block of dirt, as my dad used to call it, it wasn't exactly <laughs> um, rural. Um, went to boarding school down there, um, schooled in Sydney and, you um, Travelled a lot in my 20s and I did the sort of obligatory year in London. I was in Hong Kong for nearly six years. Head office was in New York. So my 20s was a lot of travel, working primarily in the sports television industry and for ESPN, US Sports Network. Mm-hmm. Um, started, you know, dot-com came. We all went off to seek our fortune. It was good for a while. It all <laughs> all ended in what I thought was tears, but actually it was probably the start of my journey to do my own thing. And mm-hmm. um, I had a little bit of money. At the time, and I invested in a little company in Australia. We were doing mobile technology stuff. So I've been doing really my own thing in that space for almost 20 years now. Um, but And so then married at 32, got two beautiful teenage daughters um, who are 16 and 14. They live close by here um, and spend time with me too. And then through my 30s building a business, um, uh, I there was just a curiosity around some things i had i got a bit unwell when i was about 38 partial renal failure. whether that's interesting to your um listeners or not but it was probably more a lifestyle um mm-hmm. a lifestyle thing and i was pretty good at burning the candle at both ends really and that was i gave it a good shot through my 20s and then i got a little kick up the backside from nature so at that point i sort of went the other way and i started exploring yoga and different types of meditation And by the time I had turned 38 when I learned Vedic meditation. I had given most things a good shot because I was really good at trying everything, like the bright, shiny object stuff. Mm. You know, everything's going to be amazing. for the, And then three months later, I've bounced off it. And we can talk about why I think that was. Mm. Came across Vedic meditation um, 10 years ago, as I say, and I've been now a practitioner and then a teacher of that um, ever since. Um, and, um, you know, that journey from into teaching sort of as dovetailed into other things and a lot of change in my life personally and even just the things that I do, I guess, beyond teaching in terms of um, involvement with other commercial enterprises. So I guess you could say that it's been a more conscious path for the last decade, yeah.
2: Can you talk a bit about your sort of journey through meditation? So really interested in what got it sounds like you were you're living pretty fast and there's echoes. Mm. I don't know if you've read Dan Harris's Ten Percent Happier. Mm. Um, you know, he was he was in the, the journalist game and, and quite cynical about meditation, got into it and then went on his journey. So interested in how you got in, um, but also what different styles, what different practices you, you tried that that uh, took you through to Vedic?
3: The first book I read, so it was an interesting. I got given autobiography of a yogi by a friend of mine in Hong Kong, and it was 25 years ago. And he was a practitioner of that tradition at the time. And I, I kept that book with me for 10. Never read it. I'd get through the first page, never read it. But somehow it sat next to my bed forever, through different countries and different all sorts of different things. And so there was something. Maybe there was a spark lit there. And then I read Eckhart Tolle's book, The Power of Now, when I was. Um, was actually the week I was in Thailand at a place called Shiva which is this, you know, really lovely health retreat. And off I was doing that sort of thing. But I read that book from cover to cover, and on, and I remember walking around that week with a new awareness of something, no question. Um, and it just really struck a chord, and I know a lot of people can relate to that book. And, um, and 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 I guess his story is somewhat not unique, but it's probably more rare that someone would have that instantaneous. Um, feeling or um, expansion to a heightened state of consciousness and then maintain it. Mm. Some of us may get a glimpse, but um, we may then shrink back into probably the more comfortable place to be. So that was, you know, that was a spark. And um, then from there, um, my model was let's run hard, play hard, travel hard. I was building a software company. I was travelling all over the world at the time, young children, um, my wife at the time, Heidi, she had a, you know, she had a substantial business herself. So it was the, you know, it was the, you know, it was the whole, the whole sort of picture. And I would get to places, um, high end retreats and those types of things. And I'd learn different styles of mindfulness practices. I'd learn guided meditations. I did Qigong for a while. Mm-hmm. I did Bikram yoga. And if I did Bikram yoga, I did it for 60 days straight. So I was sort of just all in, mm-hmm. um, very much, you know, part of, um, um, my personality type. And but what I have since sort of understood is a lot of what I was learning at the time were techniques that had been derived somewhat from more monastic practices by tradition. Mm-hmm. And if we consider mindfulness, which I guess some some may say has more of a tie to Buddhism, but I think it's actually probably almost become so derivational of Buddhism that I think it's not entirely correct whether it's contemplative practices, concentration practices, those practices are pretty good when you're somewhere quiet and you've retreated from the modern world and you're in the mountains and the food's all vegetarian and no one's bothering you. You can pick up those techniques in that environment and really, you know, uh, experience, um, um, experience and um, value what those techniques can bring try what i started to what i now see is i would try and take those techniques back into this other life which was my householder parent business owner lifestyle and very very quickly trying to practice a silent slash for style meditation for instance twice a day for an hour it just it just was never going to happen and that was two things a lot of demands which we all have but secondly um trying to take modern-day physiology, which is engaged engaged in the world, and then bring it to a halt at 5 p.m. in the afternoon for an hour was just a bit unrealistic. You're going fifth gear to first gear. And, and, it, and, and so much the idea of meditation being that we can rest and relax and t- those types of things, um, I found myself bouncing off and I thought I wasn't a good meditator fundamentally. Mm. Um, so there was eight years of research in all sorts of different different um hmm. different techniques and i then met the person who taught me to meditate is a man called tim brown who's my age in sydney a decade ago and he pointed out that vedic meditation the 20 minutes twice a day is actually derived from a more householder lineage of tradition by by, by virtue of the fact if we go back into that lineage we can see examples of people who were conscious and meditating but their lifestyle and the things they did were less monastic and more village and these types of things, and they had these very engaged lifestyles. So it was this integrated technique. And for me to meditate for 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the afternoon, evening, whether I'm sitting on a plane or outside the girls' school at pickup, I just started getting it done. So mm. it clicked for me. There was a very practical element to that, which I, by virtue of my nature of wanting to do things well, I was like, I'm just going to keep doing this. So what started out as just a practical solution to release stress and release fatigue and those things, you know, obviously then quite quickly morphed into a greater understanding of what it means to be more conscious. And 12 months after I learned, I decided to do teacher training. I took 12 months out to do that. I was in India three times inside that 18 months. And um, I sold my company and did a 180, started teaching. Um a few years later. Yeah. So it was a, it was a I was overdue for the correction, let's just say. Mm. That's for sure.
1: Well, on that very theme and you talked about burning the candle at both ends. What have you learnt now in your journey through meditation and as a meditation teacher? that you wished you absolutely knew when you were burning the candle at both ends?
3: That is a question that sometimes other people will put to me. They'll say, I wish I learned this technique Mm. 10 years ago and maybe I wish I was 18 and all this stuff wouldn't have gone on. But what, and I used to say that, but now of course I so see the intelligence in where I had to get to, to get to that point of becoming a regular meditator because we all just do research, right? And we value that research. And in fact, I sometimes think, well, if I had have learned to meditate younger, when a teacher, you know, would that story and some of those things that I know people can relate to about the way that I um, sit with people and talk about it, maybe that those people wouldn't find my story relevant because if someone comes in the door and says, hey, I burned the candle at both ends, I go, yep, I've been there and um, I, you know, here may, you know, here's a way that possibly you can, you know, you can start to gravitate out of that. So I don't, I no longer wish that of course, would my physiology be healthy there'd be less inflammation, um, you know, um, but it's funny. I just thought about this over the week and I've just been on a treat with a whole bunch of people down the Southern Highlands. And someone asked the same question. I said, we all have a story we all have a path and we are doing research even if that research is leading to essentially a pain we have to get there on our own and when we and and when we do step through that 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 gate into something more fluid and more enjoyable and when you know and we're able to get that perspective then it's actually the journey there, and then our own um, our own path out that we that we can rely on, and gives us the confidence to know that we have a solid foundation as we step slowly into something else. Does that make sense? And so, there's nothing I wish about that because so much of that so much of that journey makes um, you know makes. Uh, what is, you know, the story that I can now tell to you guys.
2: It's funny, Nico, when you were uh, relaying that story about carrying that book, Autobiography of a Yogi, around all these different places, in my head I was thinking that old saying that when the, the student is ready, the teacher will appear, mm-hmm. you know. There's mm-hmm. an element of readiness to this, isn't there?
3: There is, and it's funny, just to back to that book, I, I don't know what it was, I kept it with me for 15 years and I was in Rishikesh in India nine years ago and I still had that book and I opened it up and I just went cover to cover. And it had just, it was, it had been somehow stayed with me and it had the name of the person who'd said, welcome to Hong Kong or something and it's 1994 and there I was in Rishikesh and I was just, I was able to appreciate it and and, um, allow it to really saturate um, my conscious state before that, it was just like pouring water on this bench top. It just was never going to, um, it was never going to be able to soak in. So, um, devoured it. And, but there was something, there was a little conscious spark. I kept that book there for a reason. Mm. Could
1: Mm. you give us a short form history of Vedic meditation, Nico, uh, from the books of the Veda, How did this come about?
3: Vedic meditation is a traditional practice, and um, we we can you know we we essentially call it a five thousand year old tradition, um, and the Vaid is a traditional or, or ancient body of I'll call it a body of knowledge, okay, um, and there's different there's you know there's different verticals that sit under the Vaid. You may have heard of Ayurveda, which is essentially the science of the body, and there's one called the Rig Vaid, which is around music and sound. Um, and over time, that tradition of knowledge has been maintained and a lot of the traditions that we'll see in India have, you know, at their at their core, you know, are extensions of, of the Veda. Um, and there are some lovely stories that sit inside that, like the Mahabharata and the Bhagavad Gita, which is the great battle and Juna's conversation with Krishna um, around, you know, his exploration of consciousness and action. Um, and then, but you know, in more recent, um, you know, let's call it in more recent modern times, um, a a um, teacher slash spiritual leader in India called Swami Brahmananda Saraswati, a gentleman called Guru Dev, who was the Shankaracharya of Guru uh, of Jyotimat. Um and he um, then taught a um, one of his um, one of his disciples and students was a man called Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Who um, people may know was the founder of the Transcendental Meditation Organization and taught the Beatles to meditate. And then from there, um, there's been a lineage of teachers that have um, continued to maintain the technique. Um, so we have somewhat the, the modern, um, the modern path and then, then the more traditional path. And they are linked by a what we call a tradition of teachers that goes back, you know, that continues to go back, back in time.
1: Yeah, And the relationship with Transcendental Meditation, do I remember it correctly that uh, Vedic spun off from Transcendental Correct. Meditation and the reason for that?
2: Um,
1: it, it, it
3: spun off. There's, um, there's a teacher called um, Tom Knowles who is, a, you know, who is the senior Vedic meditation teacher. He was with that organisation for some time. Um, and then he, um, I don't know all of the details of that, um, I think it's probably almost 20 years ago. I think by that stage, Maharishi was probably getting getting older, and Tom did leave the, um, that organisation and started teaching Vedic meditation. Um, and you know, there's been some things between you know over the years that um, probably predate when I got involved. Um, but now the two organisations do you know coexist and sit by um, side by side. Um, they are of that lineage and obviously can trace back through Maharishi and beyond. Um, and I think both organize you know, when, when I say the word organisation, that's probably too, um, be too detailed a term um, on the basis that Vedic meditation teaches we are all just essentially affiliated by virtue of the fact that we teach, um, teach the technique. Um, and the TM organization, David Lynch organization, you know what they do to bring this knowledge to the world is, I think, um, you know, extremely admirable. Um, the work they do with veterans in the US and those types of things, but certainly, that's a much bigger organization. They've got a very um, well-respected university in Iowa, um, in Fairfield. So, yeah, I think that would be good. I think Vedic is probably just a, a. Um, I think spin-off is a word for it, for sure, but it's the same tradition, yeah.
2: One of uh, our anecdotal observations is that there can be a barrier to entry to meditation and I reckon it's peculiarly for blokes, um, particularly Australian context, you know, a lot of people even just our discussion, there's a lot of words in Hindi, there's a lot of words like transcendental, yep. which may yep. seem uh, alien, may seem difficult to, to approach. Um I'd be interested in a like just getting a, a grassroots explanation of, of the concept of transcendental meditation and, and how you found it's benefited you, and b your thoughts on you know what can make this more um, I guess uh, accessible for for like I said particularly blokey bloke Australians that that may not mm. think that they're the kind of person who's going to to meditate.
3: Mm. It's a good question. I'll start with the second part of that. Um, the first two people who learned to meditate with me were, were the were the builders at um, our house and I came back from India um, and they'd seen me through the journey and we were doing this project up in Palm Beach and they'd seen me through the journey. I came back from India and as a teacher, I literally landed and I walked straight in and they said, what have you been up to? I said, India, I'm meditation teacher now. And they both said, well, let's go. And so I remember standing there in that house and they were in their high vis gear and I'd have to get them to take their, <laughs> take their boots off. And, and, you know, they were, they were, um they were the first people who sort of came to it on that basis. And so, you know, um, not that they're, you know, I guess they're bloke, yeah are they blokey bloke? Perhaps that, you know, they might not think that, but, but that was just such a nice contrast for this yeah. idea that, you know, maybe it's not men and maybe it's not that sort of thing because, yeah. um, Uh, I think we possibly, I think we may make that assumption a bit too quickly, but I think it's fair to say, okay, how would we um, not just maybe position Vedic meditation or team or any of those for um, people of all types, but you know, what does it mean to even lower the, you know, simplify the conversation about what meditation is and how it can be a benefit. Um, And so Um, back to the first part of it, you know, we teach a technique that is effortless. We use a mantra. It's we sit with our eyes closed for 20 minutes twice a day. And by thinking this sound, which has no meaning to it, it allows our mind to move to a place that is quieter and more subtle. And our nervous system by virtue of its ability to, um, by virtue of the ability's body to rest starts to de-excite and release stress and fatigue. And when that happens, we may find ourselves thinking about other things or we're aware of noises, but we just gently think this sound again, which allows our mind to come even a bit further. And we're moving back from those five senses. We're actually starting to have a more subtle experience of our body and what's probably our inner um, quieter conscious state. Once again, the body then can rest even further. And so we are releasing stress. We're releasing tension and fatigue. Inside a relatively short time frame, in a very dynamic way, because our body, when left to its devices, will obviously lap up that ability to to rest. It just is so it's so desperate for us just to get our hair out of the way, mm-hmm. and, um, and this lovely technique allows it to do so. And so, it's it's such a simple technique, and certainly I think, as you say, some of the words around it may suggest more complexity than is actual what someone's experience is. Um, so it's 20 minutes, it's twice a day. And I think back to the part you know, the earlier part of this conversation was that I did, you know, I did try. I'm going to, you know, what I say, I tried everything else. It would be generalizing, but I can smile at just how much I did try. And it was an actual fact, a technique that um, allows us to get to a far more deeper and subtle place quite quickly, um, that ultimately ended up being the most simple for me to understand and then actually apply. Um, and and then at the same time, I think if we consider about those that may um, come to any technique, we of course would hold the view that people that if everybody could sit down, regardless of traditional technique, and allow, and, and enable their mind to rest and their body to release stress and fatigue. I mean, let's get everybody doing it. It's just mm. it, you know, is it it, mm. it, it it is there anything more important than ensuring that we could have more of humanity as I would say, back in the right place of their conscious cinema, enjoying their movie rather than where their faces up against the screen, because that's what's going on. Now let's think about the thread of the conversation earlier. I would never have got there sooner, no matter the technique I had to go and research because I had to get to my pain point. And so regardless of who we are, what we do, what we do during the day, um, we all need to come to these techniques in a way that, um, We've got some commitment to that. There's a bit of momentum behind it. Otherwise, we might just be told to go and do something and we won't value it. Um, we could put a full-page ad, you know, in the any any local newspaper going free meditation at the biggest stadium in Perth and you'd get a few turn up but in actual fact, and, you know, you would actually probably be surprised at just how few do because mm. just like me not seeing, just not reading autobiography or a yogi, you wouldn't even see the ad. They just flick straight past it they're not ready to step into that space, you mm. see. So um and I think if I could sort of even move it along, it's um you know um you know part of why Christian my brother and I did step you know did by insight timer nearly six years ago now which is a meditation app that some of your audience may be aware of was we did think there was a way to at least bring meditation to a much broader broader population um, on the basis that Um, people need to start somewhere. And if we could just maybe get people start somewhere, maybe their journey somewhat like our own would be, I tried this, it was guided, I've stepped here, I've stepped there, I met a teacher. And then you have a journey somewhat to a more self-sufficient experience of meditation. So there's a funnel a little bit. And so can we somewhat um, be part of the funnel and and getting people to just move their awareness towards meditation, that's probably the place to start. Um, but people, like anything, want to feel like they've stepped into this because then they trust their journey more. Hmm.
1: So Zen Timer, you've turned into Insight Timer and, and I use it. I use the timer function. I wanted to circle back on one thing the vedic practice that mantra based practice is a private and personal practice but insight timer has a lot of guided meditations on it which is better the private and personal or the guided meditation is there any conflict in the middle of those two things
3: no i think uh with insight time so insight Timer started um as a timer right it was the first meditation app in the app store in 2009 or something it's been a long time founded by a guy called brad former um and my brother and I bought it from him. Um, but you see, people know better actually just what is the best meditation technique for people at that time, okay? And for someone who wishes to sleep better or has anxiety and they don't really know much more, they may just someone say, why don't you go and use or calm or insight timer and listen to the sleep a sleep story because it'll help you sleep um and then someone may sit there and think oh well that's that's interesting but geez it would be nice if i could just maybe sleep better on my own and it may take them on a journey to exploring other practices which means that they may meditate during the day in that more personal private way release stress during the day and then they're going to rest better at night it's problem on the level of the problem right let's turn around and actually explore other techniques because then I may just find myself falling asleep naturally because I'm, I'm, I'm releasing stress in the daylight hours, which is um, some of that um, thing we particularly see. Because obviously we have a good idea about what it may be for someone to be introduced to an app, to start exploring that, to listen to some podcasts. They have a guided technique. Someone says maybe you should learn this. And then, of course, at that point, they've got the confidence possibly to be more self-sufficient and you don't need someone talking in your ear. So, people will find what they need, which is for them at that time. If that makes yeah, like I think that's about it. Because we let's just see where people's journeys go. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Certainly in my own nascent practice have found what I needed in terms of uh, aspects of that stress. And I do like that 10% happier saying. I, I reckon that's mm-hmm. a, a pretty good thing. It, it it has definitely moved the needle. But I've also found things that I was not expecting. And one of the uh, benefits, and, and I assume there's a causative effect, it might just be a correlation. But I'm seeing... Um, it. it it appears at times like there's an, an Instagram filter on my life. I, I see light in a, a slightly different way, and maybe I'm just more attuned, or maybe seeing things um, in a, or a little more beauty in in the the mundane. Have you experienced any unexpected sort of benefits uh, from your your own practices?
3: Um. So what I would. So what you know, like I would tread carefully to what I obviously considered to be my enthusiasm for having a regular meditation technique. Um, I changed everything about my life to, ch- to teach it. So the, the the outcomes for me were um, very apparent in terms of sleep. I was not a good sleeper. I would, you know, was sleeping pills three o'clock in the morning, that sort of thing. I ran that model. Um, I never thought I had anxiety until... Um, I had um, an anxiety attack at Noosa Airport maybe 12 years ago with my daughter and I didn't even realise that I was, you know, and that was a bit of a wake-up call and learned to meditate not long later and that's not sort of, a, you know, any anxiety sort of um, evaporated very quickly. Um, And then just physically... Um, you know, if we are consistently releasing stress, we're going to, um, I had chronic back pain for a decade. I would have said that by the time I was 50, I've always thought, well, I'll be, you know, not functioning. Um, I'm nearly 50 and I've probably not been as strong or as capable or as active as I would have been since I was 25. Now, why? Because consistently twice a day, my, you know, my mind has been able to rest. My body's relaxed. I've released stress. I've released that tension. I've released that fatigue. So inflammation has just been retreating so rapidly and so quickly. And, of course, with more time and more energy, you're going to move into um, doing activities. You're going to feel more motivated. There's a whole bunch of things that come from that. You know, we are less you know, less of the cortisols and the adrenalins and we're moving into the endorphins and the serotonins. And so these other things allow us to get perspective back. We're feeling more motivated just to get out of bed because we've actually rested well as opposed to, you know, um, tossing and turning from two to four, which is just the body releasing stress. It's not the mind. That's a mistaken idea too. So I could go on, um, is that we underestimate just how much it is that if our physiology and our nervous system are consistently um, coming to a place where they can repair and rest, then we're going to see those benefits flow into all of those little things that we can all talk about, and that, in, and so most people will start ticking a lot of boxes around anxiety or depression or, um, you know, physical health around well-being, around strength, around exercise, because, um, you know, this extraordinary, this extraordinary nervous system that we've been given to enjoy this life, um, you know, it is the it's the Ferrari that um, that, that 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 deserves to be, you know serviced in the morning and driven as hard as it can during the day and then come back in the afternoon and give it a bit of love and a bit of this and a bit of that and then enjoy the evening and so i think that's the other part of this is people think well if i learn to meditate will i slow down and start sort of cruising around and wandering looking at the sky it's no, an actual fact you know you 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 adopt a technique you're actually going to take yourself into action in as dynamic a way as possible so there we go, beyond just the things that we start to feel like we're fixed, we move into the the next gear of dynamic activity, potentiality, purpose. I mean, unlimited human potential is actually sort of where it goes the other way. Um, so here I am, I can feel my enthusiasm building for why I, I think, you know, what benefit, what what meditation did for me and I, mm. I don't want to, um, but it's just I can't help it. I mean, um, we underestimate what movie we can enjoy when we're back from that from that screen of 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 an overwhelming experience. And regular meditators are just less overwhelmed by anything. Um, doesn't mean we don't get stressed, but but our body will, will 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 process stress faster and we bounce back faster. So regular meditators will very very quickly start to see. Um, benefit and change and to your point absolutely if your physiology is more um in balance and you are back in a, you know you're you know you're at a place where you've got perspective are your senses more enhanced? heightened absolutely a regular meditator's taste buds will change because it just your, your body doesn't want to sit there and eat a tub of ice cream in front of netflix mm. Your body is saying, I am now more in alignment with my natural state. So sugar, it just doesn't, it's too sweet. Let me, your you know, your taste buds will shift. What you see, what you start to wish to engage with will become more, you know, high grade. It's not walking dead for seven days being there. It's Mm -hmm. like, I can't even just, that's, let's get rid of that. And let's start to gravitate towards, towards things that support my journey in a more evolutionary way let's get to that so what we see what we hear what we taste what we want to talk about will change sit down at a bunch of people and you know there's a conversation going on that's just not that interesting it's because literally the content is not supporting you anymore it becomes quite visceral so I'm out of here and if I'm out of here it means I'm not having a drink with these people and and I'm talking about a decade of change and I'm giving you some of the sort of big blocks of that but um it's um it's just a total like, like it's a total shift total shift which we're all capable of but it requires some discipline and some trust and some devotion and we either choose that our nature is broader and let's just say somewhat divine or we ignore that and continue doing research and that's fine too
1: So like you can meditate by yourself whilst you're waiting to pick the kids up from the school or in a bus or a train or pretty much any location in your house or anyone else's house, you can also meditate as a group. Could you talk about the differences in energy and experiences when you're meditating as a small group?
3: Everybody will say how much they enjoy meditating in a group, no question. Um, I've just had a group of 20 people down down in the Southern Highlands and we were doing some yoga and meditation over the weekend and we'd come together in the room at times and at other times people were in their respective rooms. When, when the group was together in the room, there was just a wonderful stillness and silence to that. Um, it's like the birds just sort of stopped singing and there were some times when it was just this lovely collective calm and it it, it is, they they, they, did, they did some studies, maybe it was Chicago, I can't remember, if They but, but they do call it the Maharishi effect. Maharishi being one of the teachers of this tradition, but also Rishi's Sia Maha is great. So, you know, the idea of sort of that idea that when we get together, we, there is an effect of that. And I don't wish to, I'll be careful about some of the things I recall about, but certainly they did a, I think they got some airplane hangars in, you know, one of the cities in the States, they'd have thousands of people meditate. And they were able to then track some of the demographical changes or even some of the things that were going on throughout that time and crime was down. There's a whole bunch of things that they drew from this experiment. They ran of huge groups of people meditating together and the effect it had on that collective. But um, I think anyone who has meditated in a group will really benefit from that and, and 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 pick up on that sort of collective you know silence that you know that can, can come from it, definitely.
1: I have a theory, I mean, 15, 20 years ago, if you walked into the SAS regiment and said, hey, look, you know, we should be including meditation, mindfulness practices as part of our deploying guys and girls into a mission and also uh, as part of their debriefing process, you'd be laughed out of the unit. Um, My theory is that it's going to be increasingly important to incorporate those practices as part of battle preparation or arguably even more so when you come back off a task and uh, as part of that after action review or debriefing to decompress what has just happened. Uh, any thoughts on how it might be applied into you know, military law enforcement, those environments where we've got very active surface mind?
3: I regardless of, um, so let's just think about that a highly, a highly demanding environment which requires and I'd imagine that anyone who was able to even get through that gate into into that sort of a training program or a unit, you know, at that elite level, there's something fundamental about that, you know, any one of those individuals' physiology that is, you know, and I'm sure by virtue of the test that happened, that actually already show that there is a capacity for that conscious state to handle stress at a, at a more demanding level than, let's say, you know, probably 99.99% of the rest of the cohort. But um, so um, whether it is that highly demanding um, element of ensuring space where the body is essentially in that, you know, let's call it fight or flight, and it's like, well, actually, okay, my capacity and adaptability levels are actually pretty Pretty extraordinary compared to someone else, which is that someone else may be even just you know they walk across the road and someone yells at them and they end up you know um, getting very upset by that. Um, what what an actual fact is 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 going on is that there is just different levels of de- of adaptability within that physiology or nervous system. So yes, to think that you could further enhance the capacity. Of someone whose who, whose ability to hold space in a very demanding environment is increased, well, it's going to, um, you know, we can only you know we can only consider that to be beneficial, and whether it's those types of highly demanding environments, and then we move back into you know competitive sports, it's the same thing. The only way that people can maintain that level of um, competitive, physical, and, um, you know, that demanding edge is that, you know, it takes a certain time. Right. But, um, so we see it in sports, we see it in corporate environments, very competitive places. I mean, meditation is now considered a, like an important tool in the mix. And I think it's only a matter of time before it becomes, you know, as you, you know, probably does, you know, becomes ubiquitous as, um, Ray Dalio, who is the founder of Bridgewater Associates in the States, which is, you know, I think is something we know as a pretty big hedge fund, um, he learned this technique at quite a young age and he said it makes him feel like a ninja in a fight, right? <laughs> so on the trading floor, there he is and it just gives him this ability to process information and respond accordingly because what we're really talking about is what, to what extent do we become overwhelmed by changing circumstance? To what extent do we, um, and on the basis that we are unoverwhelmable in changing circumstances, mean that our capacity to respond appropriately is maximised? And the only, you know, and and the thing that that will the most substantial um, component to that is what's going on with the chemical makeup in our body when that change comes about. And it's like, well, change, change, fine, fine. And I think even regular meditators will will recognize very quickly that some things that may have used to bother them just don't at all. Even if that there is a stress response, because let's remember stress is an important human response. But, you know, we need to run from the bear sometimes, right? Mm. Um, mm. um, so let's just consider stress to be a good response. Getting stressed all the time is not. But it's like, okay, stress response required instant recovery I'm ready for the now I'm ready for the next change of circumstance so that's what we're cultivating at different levels it's that you know here I am I'm front row conscious cinema my life and movie are overwhelming why because all of the stimuli um, stimuli is causing my physiology to run too hot so I'm in either fight flight or freeze at that point, movie, front row, the you know, this amazing screen that I'm meant to be enjoying is, is actually just colour, sound, is distorted, and at that point I'm going to self-medicate. What will I do to give myself a momentary, um, some momentary respite? I'll have a cigarette, I'll have this, I'll do that, I'll have alcohol, I'll have drugs, any types. I'll be a workaholic. There's a whole bunch of things we'll do in the front row of our conscious cinema to cope with this life. If we continue that model... At some point, stress turns into inflammation. Inflammation turns into disease, and someone is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, "Hey, got to get you back in your back in your conscious cinema," or "I'm telling you, I'm going to cut this out, whatever." Or in fact, you're out of your conscious cinema altogether, which is which is life's over. Hmm. Start meditating. Start allowing mind to rest, body to follow. Replace that stress set of chemicals with a more supportive some set of chemicals come back a row come back a row come back a row oh movie's actually manageable fantastic what's happened? my relationships are changing with everything come back a row come back a row come back a row oh beautiful isn't it interesting i've now got time to contemplate information i'm getting a more strategic view oh there's people in my cinema they're actually all quite nice you know i've got i've got friends and family who i actually want to speak. Hmm. it just keeps going and if we start to do that, relationships change. Relationships change with food, with alcohol, with drugs, with what we do, with our purpose. And so we can put anyone in that conscious cinema, regardless of whether they are, you know, at that elite level of um, conflict and warfare, at elite level of sport, at elite level of business, put anyone in their conscious cinema. If we're ideally, if you know, if we're in that ideal place, we will engage with this movie appropriately right? And it doesn't take a lot just to drop a technique into that mix, you know, 20 minutes twice a day is two 20-minute slots of the 72 that exist in our day. Say it that way, it's not a lot. Tell someone to meditate for 40 minutes a day and they're like, oh, that sounds like a lot. (laughs) So there's another way to reframe, you know, we we Mm. can reframe all sorts of things, you see. So I think based on... What our path is, then there is every, all of us would benefit from engaging in that in a way that um, ensures that we are always able and ready for the right action to take place, as opposed to an overreaction or an inappropriate reaction. And for me, now, almost twenty years into that cycle of learning different techniques and stepping into one that really worked for me, um, um, we we would all do well to 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 pick that up. Because by the way, it's not as if we are all discovering something new. Everybody, every human knows that there is a deeper part of their underlying nature with which they can connect with. It's just. We are choosing because ignorance is a choice. When we learn to meditate, it's not like, oh, wow, this is new. It's like, oh, I've come. Okay, now I remember. <laughs> I'm actually pretty nice and I'm okay and it's all okay and I've got this beautiful part of me that's quiet and I was not it nice and it's coming home. So meditation is not this new thing. It's just people deciding to take the blinkers off at some point and go, oh, I knew this. I just... I had to. I was just. I was just wrestling with my underlying <laughs> divine nature for a bit longer. Um, and I think that's just it. We don't need to be impatient about the journey. That that everyone needs to go on to get there. And um, so I think I've possibly have answered your question along the way. But um, any dynamic environment, any physiological. You know that that think about that physiology engaging dynamically in action well get stress tension and fatigue out of that it's going to be doing it at capacity
1: have you been to india have you been to india have you been to india have you
3: been to india, you been to india? well you better get some of it india
2: Nico, you mentioned neurochemistry a, a couple of times in, in this conversation mm-hmm. and there's recently been something of a renaissance into research into psychedelic drugs and the potential benefits that they might have um, mm-hmm. and certainly a lot of parallels being drawn between their effects and uh, some of the effects of, of meditative practices. Do you see a place for for psychedelics um, as part of the, the benefits of meditation that you've just been describing?
3: Um I do when obviously appropriately um, uh, approached, definitely. Um, and we could, I think everything has its place. Um, what, I, what I do know from um, some of, you know, some experiences, um, is that I think what can happen is that if you consider a physiology that is front road conscious cinema and it's highly stressed, and they decide to um, introduce a psychedelic component into that, mind can expand very quickly, okay? And um, of course, there's nothing external about that. It is just the ability for mind to actually open doors into things that already exist, of course, mm. and we've just closed down, it? we've just closed down uh willingness or capacity to actually live with some of that all the time um and of course if you consider big expansion of mind and understanding but physiology okay has to play catch up right which is why there's a lot of integration around this sort of stuff so it's like boom wow wow look at that fantastic isn't that amazing but of course Mine goes this way, physiology, which may be stressed, can take some time to integrate. In fact, it may not integrate at all. In fact, physiology will actually just turn around and, you know, and, and, and quite quickly just take over what was a very expansive experience because, and two or three years later, people are like, oh, it was an amazing weekend, but, and, but I've kind of forgotten Mm. sort of where i can't seem to implement what it was that i saw or understood or because that front row back we come but of course we're not able to continue the process of stress release and those types of things and we'll probably end up back in front row pretty quickly um and i think whether it's psychedelics or um some of these experiences is go and introduce a new modality into something do a tony robbins weekend right um you know, UPW, um, boom, he'll hit you hard. He'll get into your physiology. He'll do a whole bunch of the psychology. People are sitting there going, this is the most amazing weekend, but you'll see people at the Tony Robbins concert. They've been there 20 times.
2: Mm.
3: <laughs> you may go away on a weekend retreat and meet people who may have been doing psychedelics consistently because they keep coming back to the world <laughs> as opposed to being able to continue down the path of consistent stress release and have a lovely, gentle journey. Um Implement it implement a regular meditation practice and release stress, tension, you know, and I say it all the time, release that very gently. Just open the pressure valve over the pressure valve. Lovely, lovely, steady little pathway to ultimately where people would get by introducing psychedelics or Tony Robbins in the mix, right? It's just big expansion. Hmm. Wow, I get it all. I've come home. I can see the way it all hangs together, but get, you know, have to have to have to keep that integrated is is quite challenging. And I think if not done properly, sometimes the introduction of those things can be almost um, too dramatic, right? So do I think, um, to me, I think a foundational technique for people, the trunk of the tree, and let me just step out of that little branch, let me step into that branch and see when I come back to the tree how that experience has actually pushed me forward and I can maintain it. And let me go and step out onto... Jump around with Tony for you know, and then let mm. me come back to my technique. And so, bring those things in because we don't want to be dogmatic. We don't want to turn. Mm. So, I've only got one one. You know, it's my way or the highway. So, I think, to me, establish your own foundation of discipline and the ability to be self um, self sufficient, and then go. Sure, I'm open minded. And by the way, the more we meditate, the more open minded we will be. Figure three, literally, actually, but. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we can see the state, you, we can see the trials that are happening in the US. Um, um, there's a lot of stuff going on in that space, Joe Rogan, all these guys, you know, they're all talking about it. So I think it's inevitable that, um, you know, that little pathway between regulation and those things, I think, will, um, will happen probably in the States. I question what happens here. But, um, you know, let's let's keep an open mind always. But not underestimating what it means to have a big experience if it can't be integrated.
2: It's really interesting. We? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And when we, right. I asked a similar question to Gary Goro. Right. And he used right. the analogy of, you know, if you want to get to the top of a mountain, you can either mm-hmm. climb the mountain, so your, your regular meditation practice that, that you've spoken about, you know, a row at a time back in your cinema, or you can fly a helicopter up there. That's you it. can get the same glimpse, but it's a very different process it's a very different level of and and i think your mm. idea of integration and sustainability is a really really interesting yeah
3: you, yeah, you haven't acclimatized you know <laughs> you just go straight to, yeah, you get you altitude go, get, sickness you yeah. go straight you get altitude sickness and hypothermia because you just haven't <laughs> you're just not prepared for the experience and i think that's a good one gaz has got that work You work. definitely um and so what's the rush <laughs> mm. um but yeah um i think that's a really you know it's beautifully put um so we're going to be careful. Yeah.
1: Nico, are the corporates waking up to this thing called meditation? Are you finding approaches from uh, organisations that are saying, hey, bring this as a practice into our company in order to improve the quality of our employees and maybe also the quality of their performance?
3: Yes. I was in Byron Bay two weeks ago. I taught a smaller team of people to meditate, um, the owner of that business had learned with me, and he wanted his staff to learn, and those types of things. So, no question. Um, Google search inside yourself. Um, you know, at Insight Timer, we have an enterprise um, component to that. Um, so, I I see different um, you know different ways that it gets into that corporate experience. And, you know that you know that corporate world. So, you know, you know, simple answer is yes. Um, you know, we're aware that most of the big companies these days, will, you know, you go to a they've got a meditation room, um, just so people can go and do their thing. Um, I think, I think mindfulness and guided meditations are a soft entry point. I think if we get into some of the more traditional techniques, then you know, do do some companies tread carefully with some of that, you know, some of those more traditional things. I'd say that's probably probably about it. Um, but mindfulness programs implemented as part of um, workplace well-being,
1: um, I mean, I think they're, you know, they're, they're everywhere now. Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Well, we could probably continue talking meditation for a long time. I know it's had profound, uh, seen profound changes in my life as a result of it. Um, how do people mm-hmm. find out a bit more about you, Nika?
3: Um, that's a very good question. i um, I don't I, I
1: decided, after many
3: years of sort of i guess pushing, you know not pushing meditation, but thinking that I should be out there. I have um, about eighteen months ago, um decided to cease doing all that. Um, mm. And I have a very simple landing page which actually needs an update. Um so in answer to your question, all of my teaching and all of my retreats and everything has been word of mouth. But if you wish to go to Nico Plowman, N-I-C-H-O, Plowman, with a W, plowman.com, I have a simple landing page and people contact me. Um, I have a little drop-down, whether it's about meditation or courses, um, that's how people find me. So it's old school, um, but it's been somewhat of our approach um, is just to remind ourselves that you know when we come to that stillness you know we will actually create um in some ways the message is sort of delivered by precept in a way if you think about it so it's like well let's just not push meditation meditation and marketing from my perspective have never really mixed so look short story i have a, a landing page and people can send me an email
2: Sounds awesome. Well, listen, thank you very much for for sharing a lot more than just a a landing page um, with us today. It's been a brilliant chat from my perspective. Thanks,
3: Nico. Thanks, Ben and Tim, very much. It's been a pleasure to be here.
0: Now to the debrief. We try to go always a little further in this podcast and greatly appreciate your input. Please let us know your feedback, the good, the bad or the ugly. Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, we'd love to hear about them. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on The Unforgiving 60.